Hi, everyone. Radhika Jones here, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. With award season in full swing, there's no better time to become a Vanity Fair subscriber. Let our editors take you behind the scenes of this year's nominated films, from prestige indies to major blockbusters, plus exclusive coverage of Hollywood's biggest events. Visit VanityFair.com today and save 10% on a yearly subscription for a limited time with promo code OSCARS. That's VanityFair.com, promo code OSCARS, for 10% off a year of insights and access you won't find anywhere else. Subscribe today while this offer lasts through March 31st, 2024. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the podcast that insists that award season is a year-round affair. I am Vanity Fair Digital Director Mike Hogan. I'm here with our film critic Richard Lawson. Hello. And in the Bay Area, our senior Hollywood writer Joanna Robinson. Hello. How you doing, guys? Good, good. It's feeling less ridiculous than usual to do a podcast about award season. <laughs> Finally. Now that award season has started. We had 40 years in the desert or whatever it is, and now we're... <laughs> 40, 40 days, years, yeah, yeah. what have you. And we've got a lot of stuff to talk about suddenly, including the Telluride Film Festival, which Richard just returned from. He's still kind of adjusting to the new altitude. Yeah, I don't know where I am or what time it is. The Toronto Film Festival, which we will both be jetting off to shortly, Richard and I. Yeah. And then we have an interview with Judith Light, star of Transparent, because the Emmys are right around the corner next yeah. weekend. Yeah. And then we're going to stop relitigating old Oscars and start talking about this year. And we're going to make some sort of shot in the dark predictions for Best Actress based on a tweet that Richard <laughs> wrote. <laughs> And sent don't, into the don't look at the timestamp on the tweet because <laughs> it reveals something. Yeah. Well, your late night tweets are the best. I mean, wow. that's what we all live for. But first, let's talk real quick about the trailer for Collateral Beauty, this mm-hmm. new Will Smith movie that was sort of an unknown until yeah. just this morning. What's the deal with this movie? What is this movie? So it's directed by David Frankel, who did like Devil Wears Prada and Marley and Me and stuff. Okay. So it's kind of got this glossy New Yorky vibe. But it seems like, judging from this trailer, it seems like. It's about death and grief, but with this very starry cast, Will Smith, Keira Knightley, Helen Mirren, Kate Winslet, Edward Norton, Michael Pena, Naomi Harris, like it just keeps going. But up until this trailer, it was kind of this unknown, like it was sort of whispered about like, oh, it's a drama or it's a comedy. And now we kind of know, and judging by the trailer, it is a drama, and it's going for... Drama! Yeah. It reminds me of The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Remember that Ben Stiller movie from a few years ago? Yeah. That was sort of a similar Christmas release, uh, or December release, you know, starring a kind of comedy actor doing serious, with with a fantasy element which that didn't work out that well so we'll, we'll have to see about this well one. and then it's kind of like a it's kind of like a christmas carol the setup of it basically 
yeah, it feels like look. Cloud Atlas meets everything is illuminated meets Scrooged or something. <laughs> I hope that was the exact pitch. And they yeah, were the elevator pitch. Sold. That was they're, it. They're yeah. like, yeah, let's let's assign a million, hundred million dollars for this because Will Smith basically sounds like loses a child and starts writing letters to death, time, time and love. Yeah. And then they start showing up to talk to him in mm-hmm. very kind of attractive settings in New York City. Yeah. And Helen Mirren is death. A and, newcomer is time, a kid. And, and Kira Knightley, yeah. with with her British accent, is love. Well, love it is British. Did you know that? Yeah. <laughs> They're very <laughs> loving people. Love actually is British. Exactly. So. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Joanna, what, what do you make of this? Does it look like it actually has Oscar chances or is it going to be like kind of just like a the thing? Someone on Twitter was joking. Your parents are going to make you see this when you're home for Christmas. Yeah, I don't think so. I think there's just a little too much twee involved. Like if for all the Will Smith weeping scenes, which, you know, is, is Oscar delight. Uh, there's just I think the concept is just a little too precious on top of the melodrama for oscar what do you think i mean i'm susceptible to this kind of stuff i got a little bit verklempt at the trailer to be honest even though it looks really corny um so i'm gonna see it (laughs) i'm probably gonna roll my eyes but also like it but that does not an oscar movie make you know it has like a almost like a gary marshall vibe to it Mm -hmm. or something like that but dramatic but i mean you can't tell you kind of think when they have all the Academy Award winner, yeah. Will Smith, Academy Award winner, Helen Mirren in the trailer, I'm not really buying that they actually think they're going to get any Oscars for this. I think they're just kind of like trying to appeal to a certain crowd. Well, I mean, not to sound snobby, but it's sort of palatable, serious fall winter fair. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's like mainstream. It's not L. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's good. You take your grandma to this movie. You show how many people in it were nominated, how many won. It makes it seem like, you know, we're at a serious night at the movies, which nothing wrong with that. Again, mm-hmm. I will probably see it and probably like it. <laughs> I mean, I'll definitely see it, but I'll probably like it. Joanna, last word on Collateral Beauty? I hope it does good things for the domino industry. Oh, oh yeah. Good call. A, there's a domino theme. Remember those toys? They were, they were big in the 90s. Domino Rally? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love those. Although <laughs> yeah. it took like a, an incredible amount of patience that I didn't really possess. You guys are really aging me here. Okay, so let's talk about Telluride. Yeah. You just came back. I just came back yesterday. It's kind of a plane straight and automobiles thing to get to and from. Right, because so it's way up in the mountains. Yeah, it's in this box canyon, so it's really one road in, one road out. Mm-hmm. Um, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. You ride a gondola to get to one of the screenings, which is crazy. One, hmm. of the, one of the screening rooms. Yeah, it's a really interesting festival. You know, the ones that I've been to, Sundance or Cannes or Toronto, they're so big and they're two weeks long and they're kind of commercialized. And, and overwhelming. And overwhelming, and Telluride is, by design, small. They charge a lot of money for the badges, so it's pretty exclusive. You know, it's a bunch of rich people spending their Labor Day weekend watching movies, and the program is a lot smaller because they only have a few days, too. It's just the weekend. So it was a very different kind of festival experience for me, but they get these great movies. So it's a beautiful setting to get a few great kind of Oscar movies checked off your list. And it is a tried and true place for best picture winners to Mm -hmm. debut. Mm -hmm. Uh, Slumdog Millionaire, The King's Speech, Argo, and 12 Years a Slave all premiered there. And The Artist and Birdman also Screened. screened there. Yeah. So what happened, Richard? What Best Picture film premiered at Telluride this year? Well, I think it was more of a screening. La La Land screened there just a couple days after it was at Venice. Yeah. So the first day, the Friday, they have this thing called the Patron's Brunch. And press gets to go to, and they drive you way up in the mountains, and you have this picnic set out, this kind of gourmet thing, this beautiful view. I mean, it's really like an amazing introduction to Telluride. And it (laughs) just stopped raining, so the sun was out there. And then they drive you back 
back down and you go to like a little press orientation and then they have a private screening it's the only one that's just for press and that kind of like patrons the ones who pay a lot of money for their badges and that was up at the mountains who so take the gondola up and it was la la land so i think they knew that that was the biggest movie they had yeah and sure enough i mean it played like gangbusters yeah all the kind of famous people who were at the festival tom hanks jennifer garner they were all at that screening and it just went over like so well and i loved it i mean it's great la- yeah. so la la land i think was for our purposes, the biggest movie to come out of Telluride. Right. And so, a strong Best Picture contender, yeah. and Emma Stone, a very strong Best Actress contender. Yeah, which we'll talk about in our ending segment, but yes, I would say so. What about The Gauze? I mean, he's good, <laughs> but it's uh, The Gauze is uh, it's a little more expected from him. I mean, yeah. we know Emma Stone to be charming, and you know we all certainly know her to have chemistry with Ryan Gosling. You know, he he's great, but he's not as exciting as Emma Stone is for whatever reason. It's partly the character. What did she show you that you haven't seen from her before? It's not that there was anything new. It's just like pure Emma Stone. It's exactly what you liked about her in Easy A or when, you know, whenever she was kind of breaking out earlier in her career, just sort of amplified and purified and... You know, she <laughs> sings beautifully. She dances cutely. Her performance is really good. It's really modulated. She just like really holds the movie, and she has this incredible eleven o'clock number toward the end of the movie. That's just like it's great. Yeah, I'm getting sort of misty. You are. I can yeah. see. Yeah. <laughs> your eyes yeah. are welling up, yeah. Joanna. Yeah. It's incredible. Oh, it's a, it's a beauty to behold. Okay, so what else? The other one I think was Moonlight, right? That you yeah, really loved? Mo- Moonlight I think was my favorite film there. This is a movie by a director called Barry Jenkins. It's only his second feature. He has a long history with Telluride. He worked there for many years. Oh, he did? Um, okay. So it was a, this was a premiere. They hadn't screened any, yeah. any, any other festivals. It was a big moment for him. I was there at the first screening. You know, it was really exciting. And it's this wonderful movie, a kind of a triptych look at a young black guy from childhood to teenagehood to adulthood in Miami, Florida who's struggling with sexual identity and it's beautifully artistically made it's about a lot of socially relevant urgent themes and it's incredibly well acted someone said uh, at the festival i hope that sag is paying attention to this because it's the true definition of a good ensemble every actor is great um, from kid to adult but i don't know just in case people who are happen to be listening to this don't know that's the big award at the sag awards is the best ensemble that's their version of best picture and it's supposed to reward all of the actors working together yeah. right so i'm up on that movie big time i put a post up yesterday on the site just kind of like things i learned about telluride vis-a-vis the oscars and i wish that i had more faith in our like awards yeah. process that moonlight would hold on there i mean we'll see we don't know i mean i obviously people are justifiably hungry for more diversity and not just you know with race but this is a movie that deals very explicitly with sexuality and I worry that that intersectionality might be sort of too far afield for certain conservative Academy voters, but I know that the movie, which is screening in Toronto in a couple days, is going to have a lot of champions behind it. So um, Yeah. You can actually watch Barry Jenkins' first movie on Netflix, Medicine for Melancholy, yeah. with Wyatt Cenac. Yeah. I watched, you know, 20 minutes of it last night. Yeah. It's it's uh, it's not bad, but I'm excited to see with a bigger palette after all his work yeah, getting the people you know, at Telluride to... Eight, eight years in the making. Yeah. You know, it's a real... That's incredible. Labor of love. I, I want to ask you to circle back to La La Land for a second, because I know we've been talking a lot about the politics or the changing academy class. There's a huge effort to have younger voters and more diverse voters. And the question is, are we going to see some, I don't know, edgy or riskier or different looking nominees this year? And like, while La La Land isn't a Chicago or an Into the Woods, like a big budget musical, it's sort of an off kilter, funky musical. It's still like 
a love story in a musical, do you feel like there's going to be some kind of push this year to move away from something that is so fairy tale Hollywood in the Oscar race? I think it's a really good question, and I don't fully know the answer, but my hunch would be, just judging from the response in Venice and the response in Telluride to La La Land, that the movie has enough kind of panache and style and originality that it doesn't matter. Like, yes, it's lighter and it's certainly very white, but I don't see that film being hobbled by anything but maybe a bias against musicals, honestly. Mm-hmm. And maybe against kind of modernity and youth. It's a young mm-hmm. movie. I mean, Damien Chazelle is, what, 31 years old, which is makes me furious. Depressing. But, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, I don't know what you mean. I mean, the beginning stretch of the film, which is a lot of music, and then the ending stretch of the film, which is a lot of music, they're so rapturously good that I think it could trump any sort of politics or bias or whatever. I mean, I personally can't wait. I can't remember the last time a movie really entirely delivered on a trailer and i thought the first trailer and the subsequent trailers too for la la land was so stunning and when your glowing review came out i was like oh god thank god richard likes it it's gonna be great so i'm excited yeah those two trailers were so effective that it had to to really live up to something i and i think the middle stretch of the movie is its weakest part but who cares by the end of the thing you're like totally on board at least i was so let's fast forward five months yeah you're watching the Oscars. Mm-hmm. They open the envelope for Best Director. You're hoping for Damien Chazelle. Mm-hmm. And the person reading it says, Clint Eastwood for Sully. <laughs> how are you going to feel? Um, I'll feel a little bit sad, but also not at all surprised. Um, you but know, you liked Sully. I did like Sully. Did Sully turn into like a big internet meme? I, I kind of half was aware of this. Were people making fun of it on Twitter for being like uh, not enough to hang a movie on? A little bit, yeah. Yeah, because the movie, you know, which premiered at Telluride, obviously we know it's about Sully Sullenberger, the guy who landed the plane in the Hudson in 2009. Miraculously, he's a hero. But, you know, like, I think they keep saying it was 200 seconds of his life. Right. But this is a two-hour movie, so right, how right, do you right. do that? Um, and somebody was like, oh, I'm listening to Flock of Seagulls, Sully's at least yeah. favorite band. You know, anyway. So, you know, and the movie has a really early release date. It's out September 9th. You know, so people were kind of discounting it as like an Oscar movie or whatever. And then it screened, and it's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, the flight stuff is really compelling and scary. And, and then it's all about the NTSB, their investigation. And, and, mm-hmm. and there's lines that are really corny, like where Tom Hanks playing Sully will just like say his mental state. Like, I'm worried about this. Like, just kind of... Right. Pilots yeah. do that, though. I, that's, oh, sure. That's okay. a, yeah, yeah, don't yeah, worry. Yeah. That's yeah. totally realistic. <laughs> um, but it all comes together and it works pretty well and whatever barometer the Telluride audiences are for this kind of stuff which I think they at least align demographically and socioeconomically with Academy voters they loved it I mean and it helped that Clint and Tom were in the room or whatever but like they were cheering and whooping and when you're in line for other movies throughout the weekend did you see Sally? That, yeah. that was like the big yeah. first question so I had counted that movie out unfairly sight unseen and I now I'm like well Clint you know he has he they like him. Is Clint Eastwood the best director who started as an actor, as like a f- big movie star? I'm trying to think of anybody who's... As a movie star? Yeah. I mean, yeah. although, and I hate to invoke this name, but at Venice, Mel Gibson's Hacksaw Ridge screened his World War II drama, yeah. and people really liked it. People liked it, yeah. yeah it got a lot of yeah. good reviews. And I think he and Clint are maybe... I mean, Clint Eastwood has made more movies and has probably had yeah. more sustained success. Yeah. You know, the funny thing about the Clint Eastwood response at Telluride was like, my guess would be that this is a bunch of liberal sort of people, and Clint Eastwood is not, and his politics, you know, he's been vocal recently about stuff. It doesn't matter. They just love him. No. They no. love him. 
Well, and they have Warren. The liberals have Warren Beatty. So well, right. Warren's movie is coming. Too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, okay. Anything else from Telluride we need to know? Oh, Arrival. I saw the Amy Adams yes. Alien movie. Yeah. Um, and I really liked it. It's much more of a kind of downbeat, small genre movie than I mm-hmm. thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. So I know that she's certainly getting the awards push for it. She did two Q&As, one at night and then one early the next morning. Like mm-hmm. They really are trotting her out for this. She was at Venice. She was at Telluride. She'll be at Toronto. And she's great in it. I don't know if it quite has the movie has the heft to kind of really sustain a campaign for her. But I wouldn't be disappointed because she's, she's really good in it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing that. I feel like after Venice, has the conversation shifted a little to Nocturnal Animals? Or did I imagine that? Which is another film of hers. Um, that's a good question. That'll be at Toronto, so we'll see. But my understanding of Nocturnal Animals is that it, her role is a lot of her sitting and reading. Oh, whoever won an Oscar doing that. Yeah. I'm sure there is an answer to well, that. Kate, Kate Winslet, I believe, actually. Yeah, there you yeah. go. There you yeah. go. Or she was being read that too. Was yeah. Laying, laying down and reading. Yeah, mostly, or being so. read too, yeah. But yeah, no, you're right, Joanna, that Nocturnal Animals, I mean, you know, we'll see. That could confuse the narrative for her, for Amy Adams. But look, you know, she's a what, five or six time nominee. So I don't know. I, she's, she, we should never count her out. And I certainly won't for a rival because it is good. All right. So now Toronto. Yeah. Whole other damn batch of movies. Yeah. See, I'm I'm going to be like most people. I didn't get to go to the mountains to see. I'm not even going to be able to see much anyway, just full disclosure. But I'm going to be trying to see Arrival and catching up with a lot of your stuff. But I'm excited. I'm going to see Queen of Katwe, I think. Yeah. I'm excited to see that. that totally. Lupita and Yango. Yeah. Uh, I'm excited to see American Pastoral. I think I'm going to get a chance to see that. Ewan McGregor yeah. directed, and, right? Yeah. Uh, directed and, this, he, and, and stars in this Philip Roth adaptation of a book that I think is incredible. Yeah, and Philip Noyce was supposed to direct it and then dropped out, and then McGregor was like, oh, Look, I'll do it. Yeah, yeah which is And great. Jennifer Connelly, right, Jennifer Connelly is playing his wife, and she was attached to the script, I think, a decade ago, like in the same role. I think that's a really interesting. You rarely see that, right? An actress who was connected to something ten years ago coming back to yeah, get the role. That's so. good. No, absolutely. And, you know, and, and it's, been a, it's been a while for Connelly since she had a really big, kind of meaty role, so. And the trailer for American Pastoral, which came out, I think, last week, is really effective. It looks really good. Yeah. And it's going to be tough, because that is a tough book to adapt. Yeah. It's a crazy, sprawling, dark book. Yeah. But I don't know. I'm cautiously optimistic. Our second Philip Roth of the year with indignation. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Philip Roth. Roth. 2016, of course. <laughs> it would be the, the year, year of Roth. Philip Roth. The worst <laughs> year ever. So what else are you excited to see, Richard? You know, Toronto is a huge festival, so there's a lot, and it's not all Oscary, but just a couple titles that are at the top of my list. The first movie I'm seeing on Thursday is Colossal, this movie where Anne Hathaway is having some kind of mental cataclysm and realizes that she's mentally linked somehow to a giant monster destroying Seoul, South Korea. <laughs> what? Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> I just Anne Hathaway. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what the heck this movie is. I don't know if it's a comedy. That's actually a true story based on Anne Hathaway's documentary. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's it's Werner Herzog's latest. (laughs) Um, No one must know about this monster. (laughs) He's the monster. Yeah. Um, So I'm excited about that. I'm excited about the movie Joanna mentioned, Nocturnal Animals, which is Tom Ford, the fashion designer who made a single man a few years ago. Yeah. And where I was like, oh, Mm -hmm. he can make a movie. I don't love that movie, but Nocturnal Animals got good reviews out of Venice. So Mm -hmm. excited for that. And past that, I I would say I'm just so curious, and I haven't read any of the Venice reviews, which just came out this morning, of Jackie. Natalie Portman as Jackie Kennedy shortly after the assassination. Directed by Pablo Lorraine. It's your, literally your job to go see that and tell us how it is. Well, I don't know. The most Does VF care about the Kennedys? Yeah. <laughs> is that a VF thing? Jackie Kennedy, little yeah. known figure around these parts. I'm going to the premiere. I'm going to the party. Ah, good. I will, I'm all right. covering Jackie need, and all friends. We need heavy Jackie coverage. Yeah. Joanna, what's on the docket that you're intrigued by? I am curious 
I know that there have been some advanced screenings already, but A Monster Calls, which is Jay Bayona's sort of long gestating, almost Iron Giant-esque movie with Felicity Jones. I'm really curious to see if that hits as well with a broader audience as it has with some of the really, really advanced screenings that I've heard about. And then Jim Jarmusch's Patterson with our friend Adam Driver. I'm very curious to see Adam Driver in a Jim Jarmusch joint. Yeah. So I really uh, hope that's good. It is good. Yeah. It, it is, is good. good. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. And speaking of A Monster Calls, Joanna, that's another movie that has just a very effective trailer. Yeah. You know, oh, it's God, moving yeah. and you're like, oh, it, I think this is making an awards play or whatever, because it really goes for that where the wild things are sort of indie kind of nostalgic childhood, you know, grandeur or whatever that I didn't know that that movie was going to be that tone, but it makes me all the more intrigued about mm. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it wasn't until a, a few friends of mine saw a very, very early screening and just came out wrecked, and they're not the kind to come out wrecked from a film. You've got Felicity Jones in like a dying mother role. You've got this creature that's like Groot meets Iron Giant. I think it has a lot of potential to really capture people this fall. Whether or not that means awards, I don't know. Well, yeah, and hey, look, it's the first of two big movies for Felicity Jones this year. So that's a narrative to watch, if not Absolutely. for Oscar, certainly for just the... Felicity Jones star is on the rise. She's awesome. And I believe, just to get some plugs in, I believe that she is coming into the VF studio to be interviewed by Chris. Oh, yeah. As is Amy Adams, as are lots Lots and lots of people. people. So we're going to have those videos on the site. We're going to be reviewing uh, myself and our stringer, Jordan Hoffman. Julie Miller is going to be doing stuff. So we're doing full court press on Toronto. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stay tuned to VF.com and our brand new Hollywood spelled HWD section, which actually is launching this week for nonstop coverage of Toronto. So with that, we'll throw to our interview with Judith Light, who called in to discuss Transparent Season 3, which is premiering at Toronto and airs on September 23rd on Amazon Prime. Well, now Joanna and I are very excited to interview Judith Light, a star of Transparent, and Silas Howard, one of the directors on the show, who was also the first trans director to work on Transparent. Welcome, Judith and Silas. Hi, guys. Hi. Hi. Thank you so much. How are you? Good, thank you. Congratulations, first of all, Judith, on the Emmy nomination. This is a classic question that I always love the answer to. Where were you when you found out about the Emmy nomination? Oh, my God, where was I? I was in Los Angeles, and I just had a hip replacement, and my <laughs> PT guy was there working with me, and I, I went in to, to, uh, to get him a tissue, and I saw the phone was sitting there, and I saw this huge congratulations from my publicist, Michelle Schwartz, so that's how I found out. Do you think there's one scene in particular from this season that got you that nod this year? Uh, I would say quite possibly the fact that Jill is such a genius and our writers are so brilliant that I think in many ways there's a compilation and sort of a thread that came from the first season into the second season. But if I had to say anything, I would say probably the stuff that I did with Jeffrey and in particular the bathtub scene that a lot of people were talking about. Oh, yeah, that's a very famous scene and rightly so. I mean, what was that like to shoot that scene with him? Well, when I first read it, I said to my manager of 37 years now, um, Herb, I don't think I can do this. <laughs> and he yeah. said, it's brilliant. You have to do it. And, of course, I knew I was going to do it. And, I, of course, 
you know, Jill wouldn't put me in any position that would be either uh, difficult or salacious. And so I, I knew that I was going to be protected. And I told her that I was really scared. And she said, I'm going to take really good care of you. And she really did. And lest we forget, this is a scene not just about me. This is a scene between Jeffrey and me. Yeah. And so because Jeffrey and I are such longtime good friends, we talked about it for a long time. And we told each other what we were both scared about and what we were worried about and what we were nervous about. And we told Jill that as well. And Jill took incredible care of us. She removed everybody from the building. There was nobody even in what we call Video Village um, that was even allowed to watch. It was just Jill and Jeffrey and our brilliant cinematographer, James Frona. And what we did was we just held hands before we started, and we asked that the scene be received in the way that we were giving it. Yeah. I was so supported and cared for and loved that when we finished, Jeffrey um, sent me a text and said something like, it doesn't get any better than this. And that's the way we both felt about it. Well, and of all the actors to, to do that with, Jeffrey Tambor, I mean, I don't know how many of our listeners realize he does this incredible acting workshop at South by Southwest. He, he really does seem to be one of the more kind of nurturing, uh, thoughtful actors who really understands the craft. Would you, would you say that's true? I couldn't have said it better myself. He is, <laughs> he is remarkable. And he also was doing a, a class with some transgender youth in Los Angeles at the LGBT Center, the Gay and Lesbian Center in L.A. And, I mean, aside from his extraordinary talent, he is a really amazing human being. And I have known him and loved him, admired and respected him for, it's now 45 years. Wow. And, and Silas, you've directed three episodes of the show so far, is that right? Uh, that have aired. And what makes this project different for you than other things you've worked on? Well, this was the first TV show um, that I got to direct. I come from indie background. I've done indie films for almost 15 years. And I have been lucky enough to do some TV shows since, and they're incredible. But I think that the beauty of this production is that it is a family. You're invited in to take risks. And I feel like as a director... Every time that anyone in the cast is feeling the most sort of either challenged or uncertain, they lean in more. They go towards it. They become more courageous and fearless out of trust of the writers, of Jill, of the whole team, of each other. And it's just, it's actually just such a beautiful thing to witness. It's rare in the world that we're encouraged to sort of step up and take more risks when we're feeling the most vulnerable or challenging ourselves and dealing with new territory. Jill does this amazing workshop with Joan Sheckle. So the guest directors and the cast get together and spend a workshop together where we're, you know, walking around looking into each other's eyes and sort of tackling material. And it's like in the spirit of play as well. It's just, it really opens up a whole different approach than, than I think any other show. Wow, that's great. He is absolutely right about Joan Sheckle's workshop. What she does is she really helps us create the context for the year of what the show will be and what each of our characters is really wanting without us ever doing any scene or any lines or anything like that. It's just like Silas said, it is literally about connecting. You know, given the brave, risk-taking environment on that set, can you tell us anything that we can expect next season? Are there new frontiers to be crossed next year. We can't tell you a lot because we don't want to spoil it, as I'm sure you can understand. But what I think you will be appreciating is how the psychology of these characters and who they are 
has come to be. We're going to go back in the past, and you're going to see when Mort and Shelley first meet. And you will understand more of Shelley's psychology and certainly more of Mora's psychology. And the process of each one of the characters, you're going to see more of the unfolding of why they are the way that they are, a kind of still longing for connection within the family. And each one of the characters goes through their own very distinctive process. And uh, some people have said that it might be our finest season yet. I don't know if that's true or not. Well, I haven't seen everything, but I can tell you that this is a... Uh, as you know, an amazing team. Silas, I'm wondering if you can speak to how meaningful it is to have the Television Academy recognize a show that isn't from the cis perspective. What what does that mean to you, to larger landscape? Well, the thing about the revolutionary approach that Jill has with the show and the whole team, I mean, she really curates this show in such an incredible way. I mean, there are people from a lot of different backgrounds in the writer's room, on the camera, you know, um, like myself as a director, this very alive, organic process is just incredible. So I think that just sets the whole tone of the show apart and the transformative action that they have. And, you know, Jill bringing on Reese Ernst and Zachary Drucker early on from season one to sort of integrate trans perspectives holistically and watching that grow and watching the show grow as it's influencing change in culture and then being influenced by that change. It's like a conversation back and forth. Again, just a very alive thing. I mean, the show really is responsive to things in a way that I think is, again, rare in terms of episodic television, for sure. Judith, you won two daytime Emmys back in 1980 and 81. What's your best memory of those experiences? Um, The first one was when we were outside at Rockefeller Center, which is where they did the first one, and it wasn't televised. And Sammy Davis Jr. had been on our show, and he and I had had scenes together. And right before they were about to announce it, he came up behind me and he whispered in my ear, he said, you're going to get it. (laughs) So that was one incredible memory. And then the other one, the second time, was I didn't have any, I I mean, both times I didn't know that I was going to, be getting the award, but the second time was really a surprise for me. I just had no idea. So I was sitting there surrounded by all my friends from the show, and they were just incredibly warm and loving. So those are the memories of it, really. It was a real gift. Well, we hope you get another well-deserved moment like that on Sunday, and thank you so much for joining us, Judith and Silas, and congratulations on the show. You're very sweet. Thanks so much. All right. It's finally not completely absurd for us to start talking about who's going to win the 2017 Oscar for various categories. So today we're going to talk about Best Actress, and Richard is going to be admittedly a lot more informed than Joanna and myself. But what the hell? We'll just talk about it and we'll laugh about it later. This is not brain surgery, guys. It's just the freaking Oscars. That's why we call the segment Go Big or Go Home. Go Big or Go Home. We'll bring it back. The name of the segment is Go Big or Go Home. So, maybe we should start not with the guy who knows everything. Joanna, what do you think? Do you want to throw out somebody here? Well, we were just talking about the 2012 Oscars on the podcast last week, I think it was, where Meryl Streep took home the Oscar that I feel rightly belongs to Viola Davis. So, I wanted to throw my support behind Viola Davis for Fences, sight unseen, but I hear that that might not even be an issue this year. Richard, what can you tell me about that? 
Well, you know, let's take uh, rumors I heard at midnight in the mountains with a slight grain of salt. But yeah, so my pick would be Emma Stone for La La Land right now, partly because I was talking to people about it at the festival, at Telluride, and someone said they're running Viola Davis in supporting for Fences, not in lead, because they want a guaranteed win for her, which is insane because that is a lead performance. She won a lead actress, Tony, for playing the same role opposite Denzel Washington a few years ago. But that is one little scuttlebutt rumor I heard. And, you know, who knows if it's true. It's probably not, or it could change. But So this is our earliest rumblings of category fraud 2017. Mm-hmm. It, it begins. All right. <laughs> so you're saying Viola Davis, assuming they don't commit category fraud. Yes. If they don't commit category fraud, I would throw it behind Viola Davis for fences. If they do, then I just have to reexamine everything I believe about the world. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think that's fair. And I think Viola Davis is the common wisdom right now. I mean, our own Krista Smith, I mentioned, I was like, maybe Emma's going to win. And Krista was like, no, she's not going to win. Viola Davis is going to win. And everyone on Twitter was telling me, you know, and I think that they're right, unless this category thing happens. So you're saying Viola, but if the category fraud happens, you think Emma? I think Emma Stone has a really good shot. And she's definitely going to get nominated. I'll say that. I mean, would be really shocked if she doesn't. And I think that she could have a shot at winning. But, you know, then again, musicals tricky. Renee Zellweger did not win for Chicago. Catherine Zeta did in a supporting role. So we'll see. But I think Emma Stone is a contender for sure. All right. Let's talk about who else is floating around here. Jessica Chastain for Miss Sloan. Ruth Nega for Loving. Meryl Streep, of course, for Florence Foster Jenkins. Annette Bening for 20th Century Women. Who Amy else? Adams. Oh, Amy Adams. Uh, yes, for Arrival. Isabel Huppert, whom we've talked about here, uh, for L. So if it's not Viola and if it's not Emma, it looks like people really think Ruth Nega is the other person with a major, mm-hmm. major, major chance here. She's have, really good. Yeah. I think yeah. she's the strongest thing in that movie. Yeah. Or, or thing about that movie. And that movie's going to be a Toronto, you know, post-can. Uh, and I think we'll see how it plays i think it's going to play pretty well yeah um so i think she's big and the other one that i keep hearing about from people who've seen long lead screenings is annette benning in 20th century women which um is this mike mills movie that he won christopher Plummer an oscar for beginners a few years ago i love mike mills he's so good talented guy Mm kind of idiosyncratic interesting Mm -hmm. filmmaker and you know joanna you and i were kind of lightly joking about glenn close always being an also ran annette benning is another one i mean she's been nominated a bunch of times has never won so there could be a she's due award her way this year i just don't know if i can emotionally handle another annette benning loss like i would almost rather she not be nominated than lose again i can't watch it happen She'll get the uh, honorary one, the the Thalberg, the right. Thalberg right. award someday, if nothing else. Well, she but hopefully, she'll really win it. She and her husband are both in the in the running this year. That's interesting. The big year for the yeah the Benning Beatys, right? right? Yeah. The Benning Beatys. Don't don't count them out. Mm-mm. All right, I don't know. I'll say Ruth Nega, even though sure. it sounds like you're telling me that Vi- Viola Davis will win unless they move her category. I mean, who knows? The movie could be bad. It's early. And yet, it's the kind of thing where that kind of thing will just happen, it'll harden, and it'll be decided before anyone sees any of the movies. No one's seen Fences, and like literally everyone on Twitter and Krista Smith were like, no, 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 Viola Davis is going to win. Like, duh, hello. But no one's seen the movie. But that stuff, those narratives are real until they're not, you know? Like, the movie could be bad, and that Mm -hmm. could be it. But at the very least, it does have the stage production sort of bolstering it. It's not a complete unknown in terms of what they're capable in those roles, so. Yeah. I just want to, just for a laugh before we close, uh, I went back to a Variety article about last year's Telluride, mm-hmm. and there were a lot more, it seemed like, movies bouncing out of Telluride right into the Oscar conversation, but among them were um, 
I'll just quote here. The biggest splash belonged to Universal Pictures, which not only unspooled Danny Boyle's Steve Jobs as a world premiere, but negotiated a tribute to the filmmaker as well. Really? Thus follow two paragraphs about how great Steve Jobs is. Next up, <laughs> Black Mass. Oh no! Black and mass. all about oh, how Katie Rich was here to talk about. while everyone had their attention on three-time Oscar nominee Johnny Depp, Joel Edgerton went and cannonballed the supporting actor pool. Did he even get nominated? No, no, no. So beware. My point to our dear listeners is that Richard isn't susceptible to this, of course. No, but, no I'm perfect. You know, <laughs> ten thousand feet, man. That does stuff to your it's to r- the blood in your brain. Yeah. Let's but face Tell it. is where the Brie Larson narrative started last year, right? And that was real. Yeah, yeah, that's so. for sure where it started. And but that's um, like the eighth paragraph in this thing. Room is here. <laughs> oh, and then after room, suffragette. <clears throat> oh, big Oscar winner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so so be careful. Be yeah. careful. I Beware. Think we'll have a much better sense after Toronto, which we'll talk about next week. Yep, which is exciting. And um, happy festival season, guys. Happy festival season. Yay. Well, that's all for this episode. Thanks for listening to Little Gold Men. Please rate and subscribe in iTunes if you love the show. You can also follow us on Twitter at Little Gold Men. And I'm on Twitter at Mike underscore Hogan. Richard. Rylaws. Joanna. Joe wrote this. Little Gold Men is produced by Sam Dingman and edited by Ilana Milner. Thanks to Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers at Panoply. And this week's award for best failed audition to be the voice of Amazon goes to Mike Hogan on Amazon Prime. Hey everybody, I'm entertainment journalist Drew Taylor. And I'm filmmaker Charles Hood. And we host Light the Fuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast. But right now we're about to launch our first ever universe-expanding miniseries. That's right, get ready for Light the Fuse presents The Directors. We'll speak to filmmakers who have made iconic Paramount movies and get them to open up in a way that only we can. That's right. Listen to Light the Fuse presents The Directors, wherever you get your podcasts.